Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about bringing emotion into our students' playing. Hello, beautiful teachers. Welcome back. So glad to have you here with me today. And if you're joining me for the first time, let me say welcome. Don't think I've said that for a little while. So huge warm welcome to you if you're a new listener. And thank you so much for those who have been listening for years, maybe since the beginning. So today I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind lately. Something I really try to live by, and this is easier said than done, is that I never just let myself think I'm doing fine as I am. Now, I don't want to be encouraging you to beat yourself up or think that you're never good enough. That's not the feeling I'm talking about. But I do want to maintain this sense of curiosity of what is it that I could be doing better? I'm picking one thing at a time that I'm thinking, how could I tackle this differently? Where are the weaknesses in my teaching at the moment as it stands right now? Because there's always something that's weaker than the other areas, even if it's generally quite strong. How can I approach that differently? What can I do to change that? Should it be a priority? Is it something that just is not my wheelhouse? All those questions. I try my best to never let myself rest on my laurels. So what's the thing that I'm not resting on at the moment? What have I been thinking about and thinking I need to do better? Well, the clue is in the title. It's about emotion and emotion in my students playing. Maybe this is a strength for your studio, but it's not in mine. And I've been thinking about that more and more. Playing with emotion, playing with feeling and all the musicality and the different techniques that come with that. Playing with feeling is something that kind of came naturally to me. And that to me is like a warning sign. If there's something I can identify that was easy for me as a student, that means I need to be extra, extra careful that I am teaching it properly. Because it's easy for us to think that just because something came easily to us, that means that it's a natural thing, that it's easy, that it is genuinely something that's instinctive to everyone. And that's not the case. We're all unique. We're all little snowflakes, right? And so we're all different. And for me, many things about playing piano were really hard. (laughs) I've talked about that before. Technique is difficult, largely because I have hypermobility in all my joints. So that didn't come easily. I had 
all the bendy fingers and they still bend sideways. That's unavoidable. Reading music wasn't particularly easy. Memorizing was definitely difficult. We've talked about that recently. But I believe I always played with emotion, or at least from my teenage, mid-teens on, maybe even early teens, I played with emotion. That was maybe my strength. Because I was letting things out. I was being angsty through my music because I wasn't a particularly teenagery teenager. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? Like, one or two of my brothers, I have four brothers, as you may know, were very teenagery teenagers. <laughs> they were, you know, the stereotype. The rolling the eyes, the getting really embarrassed by the parents, the getting furious at tiny little things. All of the emotions running high. I'm not trying to say I didn't have hormones rushing around and all the emotions like everybody else. But I wasn't, you know, com compared to what I was seeing around me, I wasn't that teenagery. And yet, at the piano, I believe that's where it all kind of came out. So as a teen in particular, I love playing Beethoven and Chopin. The those would have been my two that basically, and in particular pieces they wrote or I would say in particular with Beethoven pieces he wrote, that had big chords. I'm saying that obviously because most of Chopin is big chords. Big, angsty chords. That was my thing. And I played them definitely with ferocity. Not always with the right notes. Definitely not with great technique. Not with perfect rhythm all the time. And not practicing as much as I should. But the emotion? I think that was there. So, once I realized that, and you realize new things about yourself, as you go forward with your teaching, new things crop up that you're thinking, oh, actually, that was easy for me. And I haven't noticed till now that some of my students aren't getting it because I'm not teaching it. So that's the current one I'm working on. Emotion in our playing. Some students just don't play with much emotion. They do. And this isn't about like following the dynamics or using the correct techniques or articulation. This is about the overall feeling that harder to pin down thing. But just because it's harder to pin down doesn't mean it's an innate talent that you cannot develop through practice. Almost nothing is. <laughs> so I've been thinking about ways to work on it. I've got four experiments I'm trying with my students. I'm using the word experiment very deliberately here. These are still ongoing experiments. I'm sort of rotating between these four. So each week I just pick one of these four as a way to try it. And over time, I'm hoping to get a sense of is the whole mix what's working for most students or do students tend to resonate more with one thing or another? Do I need to try all four with everyone so that I can see what works for each individual student and then go with that? It is entirely experimentation, throwing paint at the wall, seeing what works for students to get them to play with more emotion behind their playing. So experiment number one. I've been using a little spinner that I found online. Just Google like mood spinner, something like that. And you will come up with a free one that you can use. And it just has basic emotions on it. I particularly looked for one that was like, you know, 12 sides or something, not like one that has all the billions of emotions and it just works on the web page. So you just click on it, it spins and it picks an emotion. That was my first experiment was just to spin it and ask my student to play whatever piece we're working on in that particular way. So play it as if you are angry or as if it is an angry piece and then spin it again and try a different emotion. And it's interesting what students do with that. 
you know, I had a student who, when they landed on joyful, they made everything swing rhythm <laughs> when it was supposed to be played straight. Now, it was a jazzy piece, so it kind of suited it, but it was a, a it was supposed to be straight. And he just changed to playing everything with swing, which I thought was really interesting. Like, that's what joyful sounds like to him. So there's no correcting here. I don't get to the end and say, that didn't really sound angry. I just see what they come up with, with each of these emotions that they're trying to apply to their piece. And it's good to do it a few times with the same piece. So a piece that is fairly polished or a piece that you're working on for like a recital or something, one of their favorite pieces. Pick something that you want to work on over and over again and do it in different ways. Experiment number two then is to tell a story. So I'm still using the spinner here because I still want to stick to the same fairly limited range of emotions. But instead of just spinning it and saying, okay, play it angry now, I'm asking them to tell me a story about a time they were angry or make up a story about someone who is angry or joyful or excited or whatever emotion comes up on the spinner. And then after that, they play their piece. So we're diving in a little bit more, maybe getting a little bit more method, trying to think about the times when we were angry. Or again, imagine a time if they don't want to tell me a story from their own life. Some, for some students, that's not super comfortable to tell me about the time they were angry or they just won't be able to think of something. But yeah, they can tell me a story from their life or make one up to get in that zone and then play their piece directly after that. So I do that for another week. Experiment number three is for them to describe a picture. I feel like this is the one that was used on me the most growing up, like when teachers worked on this with me, and therefore I've used this maybe a little bit more often than the others with my own students. But that's where we talk about, okay, what scene goes along with this piece? Uh, or what, if this were a painting, what would it be? If this were a photo, what would it be in the photo? Those kinds of questions except that we're trying to apply it to a specific emotion rather than a specific piece. So asking your student, okay, it land, again, using the spinner, I'm just doing that to keep it consistent, to make it more scientific. This is not scientific in any way, but you get what I'm saying. Just for my own funsies, in consistency, I stick with the same spinner. And it lands on sad, and they ask, I ask them to describe a scene, picture, or photo that is like a sad scene, right? So whichever word resonates better with them, I don't mind whether they think of it as a, a painting, think of it as just a scene in their mind. Some students will latch onto this and some find it really difficult who are not big visualizers, but getting them to describe even something quite basic, even if they just say someone crying is fine. And some students will have wild imaginations that go way further and tell me what's in the corner of every inch of the painting. Experiment number four is something that I had really never tried before. This is something I came up with recently. And that is to get them to make the face of the emotion. So I do a little warm up with this where I spin the spinner and whatever it lands on, they need to make that face. And I just spin it several times in a row. And they need to make that face. And once we've done a bit of practice like that, so they're making a sad face, they're making a happy face, they're making a joyful face. Once we've done several of those, I say, okay, next one, we're going to play our piece like that. So I spin it again. It lands on disappointed. They make a disappointed face. And I ask them, okay, try and keep that face for the whole of your playing. The idea for this experiment occurred to me when I realized that 
while one of my strengths growing up was maybe this emotional playing or playing with feeling, one of my weaknesses in that is that it doesn't show on my face. And I've noticed this more and more as we're doing like concerts and therefore we're recording videos of all the performances. And I often, my face is, my performance face is not great. Look, it's my concentrating face, obviously. And I think a lot of us have this issue. Let me know if you agree, if you can understand where I'm coming from with this. But I feel like I need to work on what my face looks like when I'm playing. Because it's not like I'm scowling or anything, but I'd say you'd probably describe it as looking bored. And I'm not bored. I'm completely engaged with what I'm playing and I'm concentrating on it. But when I look at my face in these videos, I think I just look like I'm bored. And that's not good. So I'm trying to get it to show on my face. And this should be something I'm okay at. I have had practice at this in other areas. This is a slightly embarrassing story, but when I was doing Irish dancing in Slovakia, which was my first big Irish dancing trip, I was only 11 or 12 years old, 12 years old. We were traveling in Slovakia as a kind of youth exchange with another dancing group over there. And at the start of the trip, our teacher had a word with us all about smiling while we danced because Apparently, the Irish groups are known for looking a bit miserable while they dance, while everyone else is smiling while they dance. On a, you know, it's a performance, they're on a stage kind of thing. So I took that to heart, obviously, or just found it easier than the others. And so at the end of that trip, my teacher gave out a few different like little awards. She had roses. I think she just like grabbed a bouquet from somewhere and asked someone if she could have it, have it and split it up into single roses And she gave out awards for various things, some of them dancing related. But the one that I got was the best smile. And that was just for actually smiling during performance. She wasn't commenting on like people's looks. She was just saying that I had actually smiled while I was dancing. So I should be able to do it while I'm playing is my point. (laughs) I was able to do it then while dancing. And that takes a lot of concentration as well. My theory, by the way, of why the Irish were famous for having no smile on their face while the others did have a smile on their face. This is a bit of an uncharitable theory. But my theory is that our dances were more complex. We're talking about folk dances in general. And a lot of the European traditions, they look like great fun, really great to do in a group. But like I've danced them with them and a lot of them are quite simple in comparison to the steps that we're doing. So I think the reason we look miserable more often is because... There's just so much concentration happening, which is the same issue that I think I have with my playing. So all that to say, I'm challenging my students to make a few different faces and then try to hold one of those faces while they play, just as a way to get that muscle working, to get them thinking about what's my face look like? Because really great performers do show the mood of the piece on their face. Yeah, they don't make like a caricature of a disappointed face, but they do show you know, that it's a joyful piece. They look joyful. If it's angry, they look intense. So I'm trying to get that across. So those are my four experiments. I'd love you to try them too. So the first one is just spin and ask them to play that way. Then we're trying telling, having them tell a story about that emotion. Then we're trying having them describe a scene or a picture of that emotion. And then making the physical face gesture of that emotion and playing that way. My results are yet to be seen. I would absolutely love if you tried this experiment too. 
I'm not going to be collecting this data or, or anything like that. So it will be anecdotal. But if you try it out, please let me know. I would love to hear which has the biggest effect on your students. Or if you try any other emotional experiments inspired by this, let me know. The best place to come find me is on Instagram at Colourful Keys. Or of course, if you're a member, just come right inside the community and I'll chat to you there. Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as the fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.